following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. We are initiating a new course on the fundamentals of Gnostic teachings. The basis upon which the ancient schools of mysteries, whether from Greece, from Rome, from Asia, from uh, the Middle East, have developed. We'll be examining not only the, the fundamental root from which these traditions have sprung, but also the heart teaching which they contain. Gnosticism, coming from the Greek word gnosis, signifies conscious knowledge, experiential wisdom, truth that we verify from our actions, from our works. It has nothing to do with theory. Scholasticism, something to debate for or against. It instead pertains to the very intimate and profound matter of uniting the soul with divinity, regardless of the name, the, uh, the definitions, the language we use. However, this type of experiential knowledge is universal and has been manifested in different teachings, different faiths, different religions, and manifested through the lives of the great prophets whom we seek to emulate and to fulfill the code of conduct that they have established for those who seek to unite with the truth. So Gnosis is defined as that very profound relationship that we acquire when we know how to awaken our consciousness to develop our full divine potential and to access from an experiential basis the truths contained within religion, within the different uh, symbols of the scriptures, the different uh, writings as relayed by the great masters of humanity. And so we've included in this image a very famous uh, temple from Delphi in which we find the maxim, homen noso te ipsum, meaning, man know thyself, 
and you will know the universe and the gods. It is precisely by knowing who we are and knowing our full capacity that we can truly speak face to face with the divine, with God, with Brahma, Allah, uh, Christ, whatever name we give to that truth. And we have to develop this introspection within ourselves if we want to seek to understand who we are as a soul, as a body, and as a spirit, as a terrestrial vehicle, as an energetic quality, and as a divine being. And so we're going to examine the foundations upon which the prophets gave their knowledge, not only as an experiential wisdom, but as what we can uh, interpret from the different traditions that they left behind. But of course, we want to verify the truths for ourselves based on facts. As the founder of the modern Gnostic tradition, Samael Onveyor stated, Gnosis has lived upon facts, withers away in abstractions, and is difficult to find even in the noblest of thoughts. This is from his book, The Revolution of the Dialectic. And this is a very essential thing to think about, to comprehend in ourselves. Because we make a very fine distinction between belief and faith. Belief and conscious knowledge. It is one thing to think, to feel that something is true. It is a completely another thing to know it is true. So we state in this teaching that one who has genuine faith has no need to believe in anything. Because faith is conscious perception. Faith is conscious wisdom. And the word wisdom uh, is precisely visdom, the power to perceive, where we get the word vision, perception. Likewise, the word kingdom, which is uh, precisely referenced in the Gospels. We seek to understand the kingdom of heaven. It's a state of being, a quality of consciousness that we need to learn how to verify. And then when we truly speak face-to-face with those divine masters, whether in the dream state, whether in meditation, then we have verification. We know. We have faith that is a rock that cannot be swayed, cannot be shaken, cannot be diverted. We know the truth, and the truth will set us free, as stated in the Gospel of John. And so we have to reflect upon what in us is factual. What do we perceive factually in ourselves, fundamentally and in terms of psychological studies? We seek to verify and establish facts of who we are, as we mentioned. We cannot believe that we are a specific way. That we are a certain type of person. We have many beliefs about who we are as an individual, meaning our name, our language, our culture, the place we grew up, our history. We know from these studies that these things are temporal. They are born in time, they die in time. But that which is eternal, that which is the truth, is beyond language, beyond names, beyond our 
personality, beyond our habits. And we'll talk more about the specifics of the nature of psychology within this course, how uh, the ancients studied the science of understanding the mind and what the mind is, what the soul is, what consciousness is. But fundamentally, we want to know the facts of who we are and why we suffer. If our departure point into any type of mystical study is not based upon this reflection of understanding the causes of suffering in ourselves, we are wasting time. If we want to know how to unite with the truth, to know the truth, to have conscious knowledge, we have to understand what in us prevents us from knowing that truth. For as the Sufis state, he who knows himself knows his Lord. If we do not know the Lord, it means we do not know ourselves. And obviously, if there are certain uh, obscurations within our experience, if we do not directly know God, we have to verify and understand, well, what in us is preventing the access to that truth? And to have that confrontation within ourselves. Therefore, even if we genuinely adopt a state, adopt a religion or tradition, no matter how noble our aspirations, we have to be scientific. We have to be concrete. And to examine, well, what in us is preventing us from realizing the truth. We cannot be living in fantasies about the way the world is or who we are. And once we gain access to conscious knowledge of the divine within us, then we develop the genuine qualities of the soul peace, virtue, serenity, faith, insight into the nature of our deepest problems, wisdom, patience, conscious love for humanity. These are the natural qualities of the soul. These are the natural qualities of God, which we can access in ourselves here and now. But if our life, if we look at the facts and see that humanity has truly precipitated itself towards destruction, we have to analyze, well, how do we contribute to that suffering? How do we contribute to the world's problem? Because the reflection of the exterior or the exterior world is a reflection of the interior world. We are part of this chaotic humanity. And being factual and scientific means to look within us and say, well, how do I contribute to the suffering of humanity. How do I suffer? Why? What do I need to change in myself to stop suffering? Because God does not suffer like us. The being is plenitude. The spirit, the truth, is genuine peace of mind. The life that vibrates within every atom, within every galaxy, within every cosmos. And we need to reflect that truth as we see in this image, like the serene waters of the mind or the lake of understanding can reflect the images of God. And then the mountain is a symbol within esoteric literature as the path itself, the path that leads from this valley of tears to the heights, the empyrean, the truth absolute, the highest regions and aspects of understanding that are capable of us, or that we are capable. 
So we'll talk about this image of the mountain in relation to the traditions of alchemy and in relation to some of the ancient philosophical schools. But I wanted to include this image because it is an arduous path, a mountain, but rigorous, enlivening, and profound. So this path of self-knowledge, this self-exploration, this seeking of understanding who we are, has been given different names. Gnosis, of course, is Greek, but this teaching has existed in every continent, amongst every people, and in diverse forms. So there are many synonyms for the word gnosis, knowledge, in which different uh, prophets and teachers have expressed this truth. In accordance with the idiosyncrasy, the language, the customs of the particular people upon which they were teaching. So amongst the Hindus, the yogis of India, they studied jnana, jnana yoga. Jnana means knowledge, of course. And notice that the prefix jn has the same pronunciation as gnosis, as, a, as an n sound, as you were pronounced in Spanish. Da'at in Hebrew is the mystical teachings of Judaism and is the full expression of the wisdom of Moses and the great Kabbalistic masters who taught the sciences of the tree of life and the tree of knowledge, which we're going to elaborate upon as the foundation of this tradition. This teaching has been known as Dharma. Dharma in Sanskrit means law, commandment, instruction. And the Buddha taught that one who follows the law, the, the Dharma, is one who refines his or her conduct, his or her quality of mind, understanding the causes of suffering within him or herself. For if we remember the Four Noble Truths that he taught within the first turning of the Dharma wheel, he states that uh, in life there is suffering, the first truth. The second truth, suffering has causes. Likewise, the third truth, um, there exists the cessation of the causes of suffering, meaning the end of those points, qualities, and psychological aspects of ourselves that create our experience of suffering. Likewise, we, there is a path, the fourth truth upon which one walks towards the cessation of suffering, the equanimity of mind, symbolized by the serene lake, which can reflect, again, the heavenly images of nirvana. Nirvana means cessation of suffering. It is referring to as a place in dimensionality, but also a quality of being, which is our primary focus. Likewise, the teachings of Gnosis has been known as the Torah. Torah means law. It's also where we get the words tarot, the tarot, the uh, cards and symbols associated with the mysteries of Egypt. So the wisdom of Israel and the teachings of the Egyptian mystics are integrally related. Torah, tarot, this knowledge was given by an angel by the name of Metatron, a very high master, 
who gave unto, Mos- uh, gave unto the Jewish people the 22 Hebraic letters of the Kabbalistic alphabet. And again, the language of Kabbalah, the mystical science of Judaism, is a highly symbolic teaching. Each letter represents a number. Each letter represents a quality of consciousness. And so, uh, not only Hebrew, but many other languages are sacred. Latin, Sanskrit, Hebrew, um, Arabic. Hebrew and Arabic are very intimately related. And the wisdom of the Middle East is known as manifa, uh, which means, or another word for that is ilm, the same teaching. But uh, in Gnosis, we study these languages in synthesis. We don't need to be an expert in, in all of them, but we do study certain aspects of language to understand conscious qualities of perception. So we have the, these five images from the different traditions. We have the tree of life, or better said, the tree of knowledge of good and evil of the Judeo-Christian tradition. We have the image of Christ who embodied the prophets and the law. Likewise, we have Krishna teaching his divine precepts to Arjuna through uh, the Bhagavad Gita, the song of the Lord. Likewise, we have the image of Milarepa, great Tibetan saint and yogi who taught the path of meditation. And lastly, we have the image of Prophet Muhammad riding the mystical creature Al-Barak, which is the, in Arabic symbolizes the lightning, the creative energy of God within our body and psyche. So these different traditions, uh, I'm going to elaborate on a few scriptural teachings from these faiths to really point towards the unanimity of this knowledge, their integrity, their relationship, and that these things are not, these traditions really are not separate. They're united. They all emphasize the need to know ourselves, to gain self-knowledge, to really analyze our problems and what causes them from a psychological and spiritual perspective. In relation to the Hindu tradition, we have a very beautiful scripture called the Bhagavad Gita. This is chapter, from chapter 4, verses 36 to 37, in which Krishna, the embodiment of the divine, whom we can also call the Christ, although expressed in the Hindu tradition, Christ is an energy that can be particularized and manifested within any individual who has been properly prepared. And all these masters, whether it be Milarepa, Muhammad, Jesus, Krishna, they all embodied that principle, although that knowledge, that light was given in different names. And so Krishna emphasizes how to know him fully for Arjuna, the soul, the warrior, who must learn to combat against him and her, or herself, must uh, overcome his own errors, his own faults, so as to unite with divinity. Krishna states, Even if one is the most sinful of all sinners, one shall yet cross over the ocean of sin by the raft of self-knowledge alone. As the blazing fire reduces wood to ashes, similarly the fire of self-knowledge reduces all bonds of karma to ashes. And again, karma is a Sanskrit word meaning cause and effect. Buddhism and Hinduism study this in depth. And the Bible says, what you will reap, what you will sow. Meaning, our actions produce the fruits of suffering. 
So we have to analyze this psychological relationship of cause and effect in relation from our interior world to the exterior world. This type of knowledge is not theoretical. It is not conceptual. It is directly conscious and cognizant. Understanding how we cause pain upon others or within ourselves is an observable fact. Something that we have to verify through consciousness, through observation of ourselves. It is not an intellectual exercise. We may uh, make a mistake and perhaps say something that is negative towards another person. We may cause harm with our words, our speech. And afterward, we may have a sense of regret. Intellectually, we may know, well, that was wrong. Likewise, if we observe an alcoholic or a drug addict, somebody who is addicted to a certain vice, they may know intellectually that what they do is wrong. But they still repeat the mistake. This shows a very a highly vast disparity between intellectual knowledge and conscious knowledge. That alcoholic knows intellectually that from AA or from certain groups that certain behaviors are negative and yet fail to be cognizant of the effects of that destructive habit. Likewise, with many other actions, which certain religions and these different faiths uh, teach against. And so we have to be very uh, sincere, analyzing our actions, analyzing our mind, our heart, our body. And not simply uh, leaving this type of teaching into the intellect. Milarepa gave a very uh, powerful teaching about the nature of true realization. He uses the word dharma, which we can say is the Gnostic teaching the conscious wisdom that we seek to utilize to develop genuine peace. He stated, those who practice the Dharma with their mouths talk much and seem to know much teaching. But when the time comes for the perceiver, the soul, consciousness, or essence, to leave the deadened body, the mouth-bound preacher into space is thrown, meaning to be reborn again into a new life in accordance with the doctrine of transmigration, the soul leaving its physical corporeal form in order to enter into different bodies. A teaching that was extirpated from the Christian Bible. And uh, is hinted at by the experience of Christ rejecting demons from the body of an insane man. And those uh, evil souls that p- or evil demon qualities that possessed this man were entered in, had entered into the bodies of pigs if you remember from the, uh, the Christian Bible. Milarepa continues, The mouth-bound preacher into space is thrown into only to be reborn by karma. When the clear light shines, meaning the clear light of divinity, it is cloaked by blindness, meaning that light is within us, but we are not aware of it. We are not cognizant of it. We do not perceive it factually. We are blind spiritually, like the myth of Samson, blinded by the Philistines through the deception of Delilah. The chance to see the Dharmakaya, Dharma means truth, Kaya means body, the vehicle of the truth, the highest aspect of divinity we can access, 
The chance to see the Dharmakaya at the time of death is lost through fear and confusion. Meaning a mind that's not been trained in order to be perceptive, perceptive, conscious, and awake at all times. And even though one spends his life in studying the canon, meaning the Buddhist scriptures or whatever teaching we follow, it helps not at the moment of the departure of consciousness from the body at death. So having intellectual knowledge from a book, from a scripture, from a lecture is useful, so long as we apply it to our life. That is a a fundamental principle that we need to become aware of factually because knowledge that we study that we do not become conscious of in this life, when we physically die, we will not retain that knowledge. And the soul that has not been trained, psychologically speaking, to be awake will not be aware of the process of death and the transition of the soul into a new stage of development. So Miller Rupert warned that genuine, that uh, people who study Buddhism or any Gnostic teaching have to be very practical, meaning apply what we read, apply what we know. We can say that one should read less, but instead practice more. And in this tradition, we have many exercises that we engage with to be practical, to verify, to test, and to know. This type of knowledge was known as uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life in the Judeo-Christian Bible. And we have in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 9, as well as 16 through 17, the scriptural emphasis of the nature of spiritual knowledge. From the Jewish tradition, we have the following scripture, the following quotes. And out of the ground made Jehovah Elohim to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life, Otz Chaim, or tree of lives, also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Otz Chadat Tob Veira. Otz means tree. Dat is knowledge. Tob means purity, or truth, or goodness. Va is and, and Ra is evil, or sin, wrong. The tree of life is a symbol, which we're going to be examining in this lecture, of uh, the symbol of the complete human being, made into the image of the divine. And the tree of knowledge is a symbol referring to uh, how we use our creative energy. So I mentioned to you how psychologically we need to train ourselves, our mind, our heart, to not act from egotistical impulses, to not think harm, to not feel harm, to not act in wrong ways. This is dharma. This is knowledge, truth, instruction, where we learn not to speak evil, to not be sarcastic to others, because that's a form of violence mentally, psychologically speaking. Likewise, we learn to be highly observant and conservant of our energy, mental, emotional, physical, as well as instinctual and sexual. We have to learn how to use energy in accordance with the will of God within us. Energy is simply force. It can be used for good or evil. The tree of knowledge is a symbol of our creative potential, which is known as, uh, in different names in different traditions, but we can refer to it as the creative sexual energy. The energy of sex can create life spiritually, as we mentioned previously. It can give birth to a physical child. Or that energy and harness, harness with our meditation practice, can empower our psyche, our spirit, 
because it can create physical life. It also can create spiritual life. That is why we learn to conserve all our forces, physical, emotional, mental, psychic, sexual, vital, etc. The problem represented in the book of Genesis is a symbol of ancient humanity that had known this teaching but abused that wisdom, where people learned to uh, take the forces given to them by God and to use them for evil things, use them for evil will, which we could say is self-will, our own will. Our will, our tendencies, our impulses tend to be selfish if we are honest and examine our mind on a moment-to-moment basis. Also, the famous prayer, the Paternoster, states, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, meaning not our will, but the divine. We have to learn how to do the will of the, be- the divine being within us here and now. And that means to love thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy soul, all thy strength, as Jesus taught, and thy neighbor as thyself. By learning to fulfill that precept, we in turn develop compassion for others. And we also in turn conserve energy. We don't waste it. By wasting energy all day, we have no fuel in which to be spiritual. Our spirituality is based on how we use energy, on facts, our behavior. And that is why, whether it is known through Gnosis or Dharma or Torah, these are instructions or codes of conduct that teach the soul how to behave. Not because one should follow one's teacher or one's tradition or one's... Uh, or to obey someone because someone said so. Instead, it's a conscious wisdom we gain when we see how positive, res- positive action produces positive result, whereas negative action produces its consequences. So the tree of knowledge is precisely that, wis- that, no- that ener- energetic uh, potential we carry within our body, which can be used for God or for evil. And of course, our humanity ate that forbidden fruit not a literal tree, but it's a symbol of how we have abused those forces and have created our own egotistical self-will, which has obscured the divine self. Which is why Jehovah Elohim, the Lord, commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayst freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. doesn't mean physical death. It means spiritual death. People continue to this day and age to eat the forbidden fruit, to waste their energy, to expel it and to uh, indulge in fruitless activities that invest so much energy and attention that leave one drained psychologically and physically. Therefore, what power does one have in order to connect with the truth? There's no energy, there's no fuel, the, the car cannot drive. And the mind, the heart, the body, these are vehicles that can express the full potential of the soul. But if we do not know how to give our vehicle, our body, our heart, our mind, good fuel, we will languish spiritually. And so Jesus uh, built off the teachings being the representation of uh, the highest divine principle we can access, known as Christ. Christ, through Jesus of Nazareth, taught the following truth to the disbelievers of his time, the the. Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees, people who believe that they're very spiritual because they've read Torah, they've read scripture, they've read books, 
and yet psychologically speaking, they're filled with many vices, and they may teach to large congregations of people, and yet be truly negative, psychologically speaking. People who preach but do not practice. And every tradition, every faith has these types of individuals. And we find this in all schools or in all uh, different types of teaching. Where people may have the, this kind of knowledge but do not fulfill the commandments personally. Which is why Jesus taught the following in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. And the need to follow the Torah, the Dharma, from one's heart. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So the law of cause and effect, karma, is you will reap what you sow. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses those of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the Torah, the physical scriptures, you will, not, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we call in this image of Jesus with a sacred heart embodied or uh, enclosed with a crown of thorns and the cross of light and fire. And the following Jewish scripture from the Psalms Chapter 40, verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. So the law means Torah. So uh, David in the Psalms was teaching that one has to incarnate that truth by following the law within one's very being, within one's very consciousness. And that intellectual study, divorced of any spiritual discipline or practice, is fruitless. We have to embody the law and the prophets in our heart. We also included an image of uh, Prophet Muhammad, which we recently discussed in the lecture on Sufism, known as the Course of Self-Knowledge on our website. We have the following uh, beautiful teachings of uh, the Middle East, in which Prophet Muhammad uh, demonstrated with his life and symbolized through his actions the path the soul takes to unite with the divine. You see in this image, he's surrounded by fire. His face is veiled, meaning the divine truth and states that he access or that we need to develop within ourselves are veiled from our physical senses. But if we know how to work consciously, we can tear that veil or the veil of Isis mentioned in um, theosophy. That fire is the creative energy that he has fully manifested and incarnated that energy of the tree of knowledge, of good and evil, which can illuminate our mind, our body, our heart. That mystical animal, al-barak, meaning in Arabic, the lightning, is the creative potential of God within our body, which we can raise up our spine to the mind, the brain, to illuminate our intellect with fire. And some people call this energy kundalini, the serpent power of the divine, the serpentine force, the divine mother, or the energy of Jehovah Elohim in Hebrew. So he uh, fully used that energy to rise up to the superior worlds, the superior states of being. And the Muslims uh, have a very profound psychological teaching in their scriptures. 
which is why in the Quran, it's in chapters, or Surah 6, verse 91, God Most High says, They have not estimated God as He deserves to be estimated. And in the book Risala, Principles of Sufism by Al-Kushari, he explains the following. It is written in com- commentaries on this verse that it means, They have not known God as He deserves to be known. So, with, uh, in this scripture, he also explains, uh, Kushari, the nature of Marifa. And I'd like to read a brief excerpt from this book of his, which explains the nature of conscious knowledge. In the usage of the scholars, Marifa is ilm, knowledge. Thus, in their opinion, all ilm is Marifa, all Marifa is ilm. And everyone who is alim, knowledgeable, with respect to God, is an arif, a Gnostic, and vice versa. So what is a real Gnostic, a real spiritual person? One who has fully acquired self-knowledge of the divine. There is no individual self. There is only the Lord. There is only the being, the truth. There is no me. There is no I. There is only Him. And that conscious quality of God is limitless, as we were teaching previously. Among the Sufis, Marifa is the attribute of one who knows God. May he be exalted by his names and attributes and is truthful toward God by his deeds. Again, the need to be basing our spiritual life on action, on facts. Who then purifies himself of base qualities and defects, who stands long at the the door and who withdraws his heart continually from worldly affairs. So that door of knowledge refers to the dervishes, the whirling dervishes of Turkey, as well as uh, the... Sufis uh, from the tradition of Rumi. And a dervish, a darvish, is a poor person, a fakir, somebody who stands at the door waiting for alms. And likewise, spiritually, we need to stand at the door of knowledge, not intellectual knowledge, but the door that leads to the temple of our inner God, which is within us. And to recognize our poverty so that we can be enriched by that truth. Likewise, the Sufi master Abi, Abu Ali al-Dakak states the following in the Risala, Principles of Sufism by Kushari about the nature of one's consciousness or cognizance of God. One of the signs of Gnosis is the attainment of awe. For one whose Gnosis increases, awe of God increases. He also stated, Gnosis brings about utter tranquility to the heart, just as knowledge brings about peacefulness. So for one whose Gnosis increases, tranquility increases. This is a very important teaching and is very profound because if we lack peace in our lives, it is because we do not know God. The more we know God, the more peace we acquire, the more serenity, the more faith, the more uh, understanding of how to live day by day, moment by moment, not for our own well-being, but for the benefit of others. This is the fundamentals of Gnosis. We live to benefit others and to let our own inner divinity be the one who guides us into how we manage our daily life in accordance with the law, the Torah, the Dharma. And so in speaking about the fundamentals of Gnosis, we emphasize that there are three, body, or three aspects of teaching. There is an introductory level, there is an intermediate level, and there is an advanced level. In relation to um, 
this demarcation between stages of knowledge. We've included this image by uh, an alchemical uh, author, alchemical writer by the name of uh, Heinrich Kunrath. This is from his Amphitheatrum Sapientiae Aeternae, meaning the amphitheater of eternal wisdom. Very powerful image that conveys a very profound psychological and spiritual truth. In relation to the three stages of religion or tradition, we explain that there are forms of knowledge, forms of wisdom, and forms of understanding. And it's important to know where we are at in the present moment so that we learn how to enter into the higher stages of mystical teaching. So the introductory level of any religion is the exoteric doctrine. It is the body of the teaching. In Judaism, the body of the teaching is known as the Torah, the law. So everything we've been explaining in relation to self-conduct, conscious management of our psyche, our mind, our impulses, our will, our desires, etc., that in itself constitutes the Torah, the Dharma, the law. We begin with the exoteric doctrine. First, by learning to receive teachings, whether from a lecture or from a book, as shravakas. A shravaka is someone who listens in, in Buddhism. From Sanskrit, shravaka, to hear. This constitutes the shravakayana, which means the path, the vehicle through which one listens to knowledge. Yana means vehicle, shravaka means listener. In the beginning, we have to listen. And it begins by learning to listen physically, but more importantly, to listen spiritually to the truth, to the word of the divine. And that's something experiential, something we get access through our practice, our meditation exercises, our astral projection exercises, our dream yoga med- uh, uh, practices and methods that we fulfill in this teaching. To learn how to listen to the truth doesn't mean just to listen to a lecture. It means to hear and communicate face-to-face with the divine from experience. The intermediate path is the mesoteric doctrine. We call this the soul of any religion. In Judaism, this is known as the Talmud in terms of, uh, in terms of scriptures. There are certain scriptures that relate levels of, of knowledge in terms of complexity and profundity. The soul of Judaism is the Talmud, which is more of the philosophical discourses given by uh, uh, the uh, Jewish tradition. Likewise, we have the advanced teaching, which is the esoteric, the spirit of any doctrine. In Judaism, the scripture associated with this level is known as the Zohar. Very complex teaching, very uh, dense and rich. And if you learn to meditate on that scriptural knowledge and to be conscious of it, one will in turn uh, enter into the profound regions of the consciousness known as the different dimensions or the tree of life, which we're going to be looking at shortly. But we see this uh, demarcation between introductory, intermediate, and advanced stages in this image. This is a symbol of how the soul or uh, how the individual seeks to know the heart of all things. In the center of this image, we have a castle, a palace, with seven ridges on the outside, surrounded by a moat of water. 
In the center we have a citadel or a mountain upon which a giant dragon rests. Likewise, there is a path in the very center, a doorway leading into this temple, surrounded by two columns near, near the bridge by the moat. And then likewise, uh, a hallway leading from the interior to the exterior and the exterior to the interior. Around the circumference of this image, we have different entranceways, different pathways, which uh, do not lead to the center, but lead to the circumference. And notice that each section of this glyph, each chamber is uh, inscripted with words, with letters, referring to different types of knowledge, which pertain to the, you could say, the external things. There are 21 chambers represented in this image. 20 that lead to nowhere, that do not lead to the center of this image. And one in the very center, the straight and narrow path that leads to life, which leads towards the very heart of religion. So this is a symbol of how the soul seeks to gain access to the truth. And uh, this tradition of alchemy, known as Allah Kemiya, from the Arabic and the Greek language languages, instruct how uh, the soul can unite and fuse with Allah, with El in Hebrew, the Lord. Kimia means chem- comes from the originates terms like chemistry, fusion, to unite, to cast a metal, to forge oneself into a divine image. Because as we are, we do not have the divine image within us fully developed. But instead, that's something we have to cultivate. So when the Bible says God created man into his, his image, male, female, he created them, does not refer to the physical body. It refers to the psyche. And that's a stage of development that one accesses by entering that straight path in the center. One develops into a true human being when entering into the citadel. Notice here, there's an image of a tree where a disciple is about to enter into that very narrow and difficult gate leading to the heart of the divine. That tree is a symbol of the tree of knowledge, the energies that we have to cultivate in order to access the truth. Everything else you see in this image is a waste of time. One circulates along these paths. There are many people circulating, circumambulating around the circumference. And they may have studied from different religions, whether Buddhism, Christianity, Judaism, receiving intellectual knowledge, receiving instruction, and yet feeling that hunger in the soul in which they do not feel satisfied, realizing that these teachings are incipient. They do not really get to the heart of the truth from verifiable facts, from experience. And so these forms of knowledge are uh, incipient, as I said. They do not truthfully instruct the soul how to enter the true regions of the kingdom of heaven. So the intermediate path is precisely represented by this bridge leading into the palace. And of course the palace symbolizes the esoteric dimension of the truth, the kingdom of God. And as I mentioned to you, the mountain is a symbol uh, from the alchemical tradition of, you could say, initiation, in which the soul initiates a new way of being. The soul is uh, tested and, and instructed 
and provide it with difficulties in order to overcome them and gain knowledge, to fully climb that mountain, or you could say that tree of life, which is the divine. That dragon is a symbol of God, the heights, the truth. And what is a dragon? A dragon has power over fire, over water, over air, and over earth. Our mind is aerial. It is related to the air, to breath. Our heart is fire, relating to emotion. Our body is the earth, density, materiality. And our water is our creative energy, the tree of knowledge, the waters of life, which when they are serene and controlled, make the mind serene and controlled. Notice here, this image, there are two columns at the very center or before the entrance of this bridge leading into this moat. This uh, two columns represent in masonry, Jaquin Boaz, two pillars that uphold the temple of God. They represent mercy or uh, wisdom and love or mercy and, and love, you could say. God the Father as wisdom and God the Mother as love as compassion. If you're familiar with, uh, well, in relation to this 21 chambers leading, to, leading uh, around the circumference, but the 21st chamber leading to the center, we have in the ancient Tarot, the, uh, which uh, we have a deck of our own that we've published, the 21st card or Arcanum or Law, because Arcanum means law. Arcana means laws. The 21st Arcanum refers to the fool of the Tarot. And in the image of the Tarot card, this person has to walk over a crocodile, which is the symbol of uh, the mind, our defects, our errors, which we must cross over dangerously, crossing over that moat of waters, that bridge that leads to the heart, the truth. Also, uh, we are that figure, the one who seeks to enter into the center, who uh, by overcoming and walking over the straight and narrow path within us, the challenges that one must face inevitably by learning to become spiritual in a genuine sense, one has to, uh, um, one will enter into the kingdom of God by conquering those difficulties, by overcoming one's errors, one's defects. Now, um, in relation to these three stages, I'd like to relate to you a quote that Samael and Vior gave, which is very profound. He stated that it is evident that behind the letter that kills is the spirit that vivifies. So what is the letter that kills? We see in this image different teachings, different instructions, which may uh, feed one intellectually for a time, but do not satisfy the soul. These letters, uh, many teachings have killed people spiritually. People who believe in the dead letter of any tradition, of any faith, who believe in their doctrine in a fundamental sense, have not only ended up killing them, their, their, soul, spirit, uh, their soul and their spirit, but even physically have caused harm. We only need to look at the Inquisition and many other acts of violence propitiated by uh, certain religious groups to see the evidence of this. But behind the scriptures, the letters if we know how to read symbolically, spiritually, we find the spirit that vivifies, that gives us faith, that is an affirmation of our own spiritual discipline, our own practice. 
So again, these three stages represent this image. And I like to relate to uh, something profound that I experienced when I first found this knowledge. I practiced the science of dream yoga very diligently when finding this teaching about maybe a decade ago. And I remember having an experience, a vision, uh, in which in this, you could say a dream, really it's a vision. It isn't subjective. A dream is subjective, but a vision is given by God in which I was flying in an airplane. I looked outside the window and I saw a giant palace, a giant uh, citadel, which is too divine, I I can't describe. Very uh, holy and sacred. And that reminds me of this image in which by putting into practice the wisdom of the tree of knowledge, the divine gave me insight into entering that path, which is symbolized by that palace. To have, an, uh, to have a vision or experience of a, of a castle, a palace, symbolizes a spiritual ascension. And flying in an airplane means one is raising one's level of being to a higher degree. So the language of dreams is, is uh, highly scientific and spiritual. But of course, uh, we have to learn how to interpret those experiences, the spirit of uh, that teaching. We mentioned many times the tree of life, which is the symbol of the full development and manifestation of the divine within the soul. So Kabbalah comes from the Hebrew kabel, which means to receive. It is wisdom that we receive from experience. But we do study this glyph intellectually so that when we have conscious experiences, we know how to interpret our visions and to know their application to our physical life. How do these visions teach us about our daily experience? How do they relate? And uh, this is a map of the different dimensions of nature, but also the map of the soul. Above we have the highest regions of consciousness, and below we have the lowest regions of consciousness. The physical body is known as Malkut, which means the kingdom, where we are now. Above that we have Yesod, which means the foundation. This is the energies of our body and our vitality which give us life and is the root of the tree of knowledge how we use that vital force determines how we gain knowledge spiritually so the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil have their same roots in this foundation in Yesod it is our foundation spiritually because how we use that creative energy is how we develop spiritual life above that we have Hod, which means splendor. It is the emotional vehicle, known as the astral body, which people uh, refer to when talking about astral projection, out-of-body experiences, the world of dreams. When people dream at night, they, re- they enter this world of Hod, the astral plane. Above that we have, on the right, Netzach, which means victory in Hebrew. It is the mind, the mental plane, you could say as well. Above that we have Tifereth, which means beauty. It is our will, our human soul. Above that, we have consciousness, the divine soul. And to the right, we have the spirit, which is God within us, El in Hebrew. And above that, we have the trinity in many religions. Um, this trinity has been represented. In Hinduism, Keter Chokma Bina has been known as Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. And if you remember the story of Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna was an emanation of Vishnu, which is the sphere of Chokmah, 
known as the Son or Christ in Gnostic terms. So this is Father, Son, Holy Spirit in Christianity. Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. These are energies, not people. These are forces that we can develop when we learn to meditate. These are aspects of self, of consciousness, of who we are. The top trinity is the divine, the highest truth we can cultivate within us. In the, third, in the second triangle, we have our humanity, spirit, consciousness, and will. A human being, a, a true human person, is someone who has incarnated whom. In Sanskrit, whom means spirit, which is our inner God, our innermost being, chesed in Kabbalah, which translates as mercy. And uh, that spirit manifests through the soul as humanity our genuine humanity, our genuine compassion. Below that we have the lower trinity. And if you notice this glyph, you can break it up into three sections. This first trinity in the top, Keter Chokmah Bina. The second trinity in the heart, or the middle, you could say, if you transpose this image to, on a human being, the top trinity is the head. The second trinity is the heart. And the lower trinity, and also you could say quaternary as well, including Malkut, this physical body, represents the lower aspect of our body. The top trinity is our, div- our divinity. Our middle trinity is hu- our humanity. And our lower quaternary, you could say, or trinity, is our impurity. Because our mind, our emotions, our energies, and our body tend to be polluted with many elements, either physical or psychological, egotistical, subjective, which uh, we seek to struggle against and to conquer. So this is an interesting image that we study many times and uh, go over and emphasize. This is the tree of life. It is the map of the being, the map of our soul. And it's something that is um, very divine and profound. It's something that we can access and verify through internal experience and through meditation. But as a foundation of Gnostic studies, we study the tree of life in depth. And we'll be going over this uh, glyph in more detail in many different ways because it is that applicable. helps us to understand different traditions and religions, but more importantly, it helps us to understand ourselves. And to synthesize many of the things we talked about, about conduct, behavior, consciousness, mind training, we've included in this image the quote from uh, chapter 19 of the Psalms, verses 7 through 14, in which... uh, Many of the things we've been discussing are very beautifully synthesized and explained much better than, than I can profess. So, uh, in terms of conduct, we have the following quote. The Torah of Jehovah, Yod Chava, is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of Jehovah is sure, making wise the simple. So, sometimes they translate this as Lord, but the real pronunciation is Yod Chava, or Jehovah. And that's one of the many sacred names of divinity, which the Judeo-Christian Bible has been uh, translated erroneously. All the names of God have been simply broken down to G-O-D, rather than Jehovah Elohim, yod Jehovah Elohim. There's different aspects of God relating to these Hebrew names that associate with the tree of life. Each sphere has its own name of God, different manifestation of God. In relation to the different spheres or levels of our consciousness each 
aspect of the tree of life has its own divine name. And the Bible, when referring to the actual Hebrew names, tells us where in the tree of life we're looking at. What are we studying? And the word Jehovah refers to Chokmah in Kabbalah, which is the second sphere from the top, on the top right of the top trinity. Chokmah means wisdom, truth. You could say is a, in Gnostic terms, is Christ. So the Torah, the law of Christ, Jehovah, is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of Jehovah is sure, making wise the simple. So the testimony of Jehovah is sure, meaning when we experience the truth for ourselves, we are on a foundation stone. There is no deviation. There is no doubt. There is no fear. There is only certainty. It converts the soul, transforms us radically, makes us very different beings. Also, it makes the wise, um, makes the simple into the wise. Into the wise. Who, who are those that are simple? It doesn't mean to be simple-minded. We think of that as something negative. To be simple is to be like a child, innocent, pure. And as Jesus said, you must become innocent or as, uh, you must become as little children if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. The statutes of Jehovah are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Jehovah is pure, enlightening the eyes. So what eyes are we referring to, spiritually speaking? What do we perceive consciously, whether physically or in the dream state, out of the body? That's something we can experiment with and verify. That is the enlightening of our spiritual eyes, the enlightenment of the truth, of our perception. The commandment of Jehovah is pure, meaning his instructions about how to behave psychologically are from a perspective of purity, Remember the tree of life, or you could say in Hebrew, Otz Hadat Tob Deira means the tree of knowledge of purity, Tob, and impurity, Ra. It refers to physical impurity as well as to psychological impurity relating to the impurities of the mind, of the subjective self. So his teaching is pure, teaching us how to be holy, divine. The fear of Jehovah is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of Jehovah are true and righteous altogether. So the fear, you can sometimes translate as pechad in Hebrew, which is a name associated with restraint of the mind. It doesn't mean egotistical fear, as in the sense of, well, one should be afraid of another person, or to be afraid of an anthropomorphic God. But that God, that anthropomorphic figure, does not exist. Instead, God is an energy and to, the fear of God is clean, meaning we want to purify our mind, our heart, our psyche, by learning to harness energy. And to fear God does not mean to, as I mentioned, to have uh, some kind of um, debilitated state of mind. It refers to having reverence, awe, and such respect for the teachings given by divinity that we really feel responsible for our actions and that we are conscious of not repeating or make, uh, entering into error. Therefore, it is clean, meaning we uh, clean our body, clean our mind, clean our heart, relating to the teachings of the spiritual conduct. And the judgments of Jehovah are true and righteous altogether because God is the one who can judge our inner world to help us develop true self-reflection, self-analysis, self-judgment to learn how to be a law unto ourselves by following the law within us, the divine. 
More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey in the honeycomb. Of course, the honey is a symbol or of the transformation of the impure substance of the soul into the pure substance, the pollen or the coarseness of the mind into the sweetness of the soul, the sweetness of God. Honey is a symbol related to the, uh, the masters of the White Lodge, where the, those hierarchy of angels and beings who have followed and fulfilled the path and who have transformed the impurity of the, or lead of the soul into the gold of the spirit. It's a symbol of alchemical science. So the bee is a marvelous creature that, very mechanical and very unaware of anything beyond its microscopic world, but something that is a symbol of our soul, how we can transform ourselves to develop something that is very pure and very divine. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. This is really at the heart of this teaching. Because without cleansing our mind and heart from impurity, we cannot uh, know God. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Meaning to think one is very knowledgeable or spiritual or elevated, when the truth is if we examine our mind, we have a lot of wickedness. So let us not presume to be anything than what we are. And from that foundation, we learn to ascend. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Jehovah, my strength and my Redeemer. So the Gnostic tradition is founded upon four pillars, which we'll be discussing in detail within the coming weeks. Gnosticism has been taught in accordance with four aspects of knowledge. Science, mysticism, art, and philosophy. We've been explaining many aspects of mysticism and also the scientific basis upon which religion is founded. Genuine radigare in Latin, to reunite with the truth, with the divine. We can say that... um, Science and mysticism, as well as philosophy, love of knowledge, as we're going to explain, is all synthesized and expressed through art, genuine art. In ancient times, these four pillars were once integrated, meaning this type of knowledge, as taught in a scientific, mystical, artistic, and philosophical manner, were once uh, uh, unitotal. The ancient schools of initiation, of spiritual studies, were were not uh, really... uh, split or, or uh, schismed, separated into d- different forms of study as we have today. This form of knowledge was once uh, universal and integral in which genuine mystical teaching was based on facts, based on experiential wisdom in a scientific manner through scientific investigation. And many of the great artists of huma- that we know from of humanity, whether it be Beethoven, Wagner, Mozart, Chopin, many classical European uh, composers, knew this teaching. And they expressed the beauty of the soul and the drama of the soul's longing to unite with God in music. Likewise, the pyramids of Egypt, the great sculptures and architecture of the Maya, of Rome, once embodied these principles. And also... Our ancient schools of philosophy once embodied the, a scientific and mystical doctrine. 
this a love of wisdom that was uh, once nourished by the contributions of science and, and religion. So we're going to talk about these four pillars uh, in brief today, but in more depth and within the coming weeks, so that we have a sense of how these traditions, or really how our most present-day present traditions, which many venerate, have their roots in the ancient schools, and that these forms of knowledge should not be separate. They're really universal and total related. But in order to examine how these uh, traditions originated from the same source, from Gnosis, how Gnosis expressed these four forms of knowledge, we're going to examine some of the etymology of these terms, which, beyond the surface examination, really unveil a lot. can teach us a lot. We included in this image of science uh, the resurrection of Jesus before doubting Thomas. This is a beautiful image representing the nature of faith, the nature of verification, the nature of cognizant wisdom, of, ex of factually verifying for oneself the truth. The apostles stated that, or to doubting Thomas, that Jesus had arisen from the dead, and the other apostles doubted, or better said, uh, Thomas doubted. He said, I will not accept this truth from you until I verify it for myself. Many people think and interpret this parable as something relating to skepticism, which is not the case. It refers to a quality of consciousness called discrimination, to verify, to analyze, to investigate, to interrogate, to inspect, in order to know what's true and what's false. So when Thomas finally placed his finger inside the wound of the Lord, he then said, truly, you are the Christ. You are the truth. And now I know that you are risen from the dead. It's not just a literal story from the past. It's something psychological. How we as a soul have to doubt everything from a conscious perspective. To not accept what others say or accept what we read, but to test, experiment, and verify in order to, ver and to know the, the spirit behind the letter that kills, the spirit that vivifies and gives life spiritually. So the word science relates to the, uh, etymologically relates to that truth. From the mid-14th century, it refers to what is known, knowledge, acquired by study, information, and the assurance of knowledge, certitude, or certainty. So this is very important. It's what we are certain about. Science today prides itself on uh, empirical knowledge, knowledge based upon the five senses. But in esoteric studies, we follow conscious experimentation, conscious knowledge. We verify based on our perception spiritually, beyond the five senses. Because uh, physical science is not the totality of science. So that's, it is really to the detriment of humanity to think that our physical sciences are the limit of all there is to perceive. So esoterically, we investigate from the consciousness, from the soul. So the old French science means knowledge, learning, application, which we're familiar with. It could be a form of study, whether biology, botany, etc. It also refers to scientia in Latin, meaning knowledge and knowing and expertness. So we seek to become experts of meditation in this tradition. 
Because through the science of meditation, of self-reflection, we can investigate all the mysteries of life and death for ourselves, from our soul. And likewise, uh, I won't read all these uh, definitions, but uh, another key point is that it originally means to separate one thing from another, to distinguish. This again refers to discrimination, to distinguish between what is true and false. And so we need to be like Thomas, doubting the illusions of our mind and senses in order to be certain about what we perceive. That is the foundation of Gnostic science. Likewise, another interesting etymological term is that it comes from syndere, to to cut, divide, or to cut and split, which is where we get the Greek uh, schizine, to split, rend, cleave. And look at science today. These traditions of modern science are very divided. People who are very attached to their beliefs about the information they've received from the senses, and they have no agreement. Many or many of them agree with each other one day and disagree in another. And as the founder of the Gnostic tradition, Samael and Vior stated, what science rejects today, it accepts tomorrow. What it accepts today, it rejects tomorrow. Likewise. So we refer not to we prefer not to in these studies, prefer not to rely on dogma. We want to verify, to know for ourselves. And not to be split and divided into sects but to be integral, to study things in a highly synthetic manner, to be cultured, to not be biased. The pillar of mysticism, as we've been explaining, returns, uh, pertains to sciences such as the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. It comes from the word uh, mayin, which means to close one's eyes to illusion, to the senses. It means to be a meditator, because in meditation you can access, by abandoning the physical body, the higher dimensions. So the word mystic comes from, refers to spiritually allegorical, pertaining to mysteries of faith, from mystique, etc., uh, mysterious, full of mystery. From the, the word mysticus, mystical, mystic, or secret rites, can refer to ritualistic exercises associated with the Gnostic Church and, or many other faiths, or uh, different churches, which... Uh, in this present day, are degenerated. They've lost their authentic unity, their power, because uh, certain practices were never given to the public because of their, of their potentiality to create or harm. Uh, but many of the rituals we adopt, from, whether from the Catholic Church or from other rituals, are, are really, you could say, uh, the external, the external uh, manifestation of an internal source. Meaning they, they came from um, the abuse or misunderstanding of the truth. Meaning the prophets gave their knowledge but, and gave certain exercises to, you could say, different levels of being, different persons of capability, giving the highest rites and rituals and practices to those who could handle it and, and gave very introductory exercises for those who are uh, uh, not as capable referring to the spirit, the soul, and the body of the doctrine. Every prophet gave teaching in accordance, mystical teachings in accordance with those three levels of knowledge. And unfortunately, many people have the body of, body of certain practices, the body of the, tr- of the teachings, and think that they have the whole teaching, but ignore that there are higher uh, exercises that we can work with. And in many of the books of uh, Samael and Vior, he gives many exercises from, whether from the body, the soul, and also the spirit of any teaching. Very uh, 
his um, introductory, intermediate, and advanced practices for students throughout his literature, which can act, give us access to genuine mysticism. The word mysticos means secret, mystic, connected with the mysteries, to be an initiate. Mysticos means initiate. Somebody who is initiated from their practical works, the experience of the divine, the truth. And uh, in this image, we've included Jesus and his ascension. And one point I would like to make in relation to this teaching of mysticism is that by closing our eyes to illusion, mayin, to the senses, to the body, to our mistaken perceptions of self, is how we can achieve the ascension of the soul towards the spiritual realms. I remember once, in, uh, or many years ago, I awoke in the dream world, the astral plane specifically, and seeing my home, um, the outdoors, I went outside and looked to the sky in a, in, in a very vivid state of mind to invoke the Master Jesus. Because in the dream world, we can invoke the divinities through sacred sounds, mantras, prayers, in order to speak face-to-face with those beings. And the sacred name of Jesus is Abaramento, from the Pisces Sophia, or Pisces Sophia, which we have available as a, with commentary from Samael Unveyor in the book Pisces Sophia Unveiled, the Gnostic Bible. So in the Gnostic Bible, it refers to the sacred name of Jesus, his real identity as Abaramento. And he's a very elevated being. So I invoked him to, I wanted to, like Thomas, I wanted to know who he was and to speak to this great being who has inspired so many millions. And I remember he came. He was a powerful being, illuminated, with a type of uh, cognizance that was beyond my grasp. So he, uh, he appeared wearing a crown. And uh, his description is given in detail in a book called Revelation of Beelzebub. So if you read that book, you'll see how, I won't go into too much detail, but uh, you see in that book, Samael and Vior describes how he can appear in these internal worlds. So he came out to me, and I was, I was a little bit afraid because I wanted to verify that, well, this is, an, is this a divine being or am I seeing a demon? Because there are negative beings as well that can lead, mislead us. And to assure me and to call me, he taught me something very be- beautiful. He sun- I suddenly saw myself third person. He took my consciousness and expanded it. Kind of, well, you could say the masters can give you light, can give you a perception, expand your consciousness as a blessing to teach you something about yourself. So I saw myself in the, being standing there in my yard, seeing myself third person like in a movie. And then I saw him as a ray of light shot up into the sky. There was a dark, cloudy, stormy sky, very obscure and black very negative, and suddenly there's a hole in the cloud that emerged, like in this image. And above, and I saw in the heavens uh, beyond me was the galaxies and the stars, which is a symbol of the divine. And I stood there, his light, he, I saw him emerge from, phys- uh, from, the, from the earth, he flew up into the sky in an instant, and I saw him disappear beyond the galaxy. And I stood there in awe because... I wanted to attain that state too, but obviously I'm not that capable. But he was teaching me something. Well, if you want to know the, the truth of the divine, you have to clear your mind. Because the sky, as I said, or as the mind is related to air, the sky in the internal planes is a symbol of your state of mind. If it's cloudy and obscure, it means that you are uh, filled with a lot of uh, doubt, skepticism, negativity. If it's black clouds, it can mean negative emotions, negative state of mind. 
It also can refer to uh, a cloudiness of perception, to be very asleep as a consciousness. So he was showing me that my mind is that darkness. And then he shot up through the sky, and I saw the heavens, like in the, this image. So this is a symbol of that. I mean, Jesus taught that to many people, not just me, and was showing to the apostles in the, in the Gospels how through the light of the divine, which he is fully manifest, you can ascend from this physical world or from materiality and clear the, clear the skies of understanding in order to see the truth. So he was showing me genuine mysticism, that you want to be a real mystic, clear your mind. Work with the energy of Christ in yourself to purify your psyche. And so the Christic energy is precisely, we talk in different lectures about uh, the creative energy we've been discussing. Christ is that force who is within us, who can act, gain us, grant us access to the mysteries of life and death. So genuine mysticism is having experience to perceive spiritually and a very factual, concrete manner. Nothing vague, ambiguous. I had a couple of dreams that I was at work and I was doing certain things. Those are dreams. But a vision is when you are fully aware in that state of mind, in that plane, and dimension, and you know how to navigate consciously. To be a genuine mystic or a genuine occultist, one has to learn how to travel in those states. Continuing our discussion with the four pillars, we have mysticism represented also in art, or in a other sacred images of art. As I mentioned to you, science, mysticism, and philosophy have developed their principles through artistic medium or mediums, whether through painting, through sculpture, through music, and different forms of uh, transmission of this this teaching given through many beautiful works such as by Michelangelo, uh, by da Vinci, many painters, uh, Hieronymus Bosch, and other uh, artists who were teaching other, hum- other initiates, you could say, this path. Since they weren't allowed to give the knowledge openly, they had to give it secretly. Therefore, they did it in symbolic forms through art. They had a lot of time. They couldn't give lectures. They weren't allowed to. So they would teach other initiates through artwork. And so you could see that they were divinely inspired. The art that they conveyed shows a very high level of being due to the, the, the impression that it makes on the soul. So the word art, etymologically, has many interesting meanings as well. It's a skill as a result of learning or practice. From the Latin artem, it's a work of art, practical skill, a business or craft. Very obvious meanings. But if we apply it to our soul and psyche, our conscious work, we see that the path of the soul is a skill, is an art form. To create the soul into the image of God spiritually is an art not just through painting or music or sculpture, but through spiritual discipline. It is an art form. And so it's uh, the act of creating the soul into the image of God is represented in this image. We have on the right Jehovah, who is approaching Adam, or Adam, who is the archetype of the human being made into that divine image. People think, of course, from the Bible, that this refers to how a physical God created a physical human being. But this is symbolic, referring to the beauty of the soul. And in this image, the human soul, Tifereth in Kabbalah, is represented by Adam, who has fully controlled his mind, his heart, his vitality, and his body. So the first five spheres of the tree of life from the bottom to the center. 
is represented by Adam. And then the image of the right, Jehovah, is all the divine qualities that we need to incarnate, represented by the other five spheres of the, of the ten sephiroth, the ten spheres of the tree of life. Keter, Chokmah, Binah, or you could say Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Likewise, the spirit, Chesed, and then the divine soul is represented by Jehovah, embodying all those divine principles. And the union of those two is genuine religion, genuine art. Because all the great masters of art taught of their music, like Puccini's operas of uh, Turandot, many beautiful compositions, Wagner's operas as well, Mozart, uh, likewise, were teaching the path of the unification of the soul with God in symbols through physical dramas that people are entertained by and are inspired, but they don't really know the meaning. They don't see the spirit behind the letter that kills. You could say many people become fascinated with classical music, but it doesn't mean that they know the spirit behind the musical notes that are embodied in that. So art, as well as sculpture, statues, etc., teach us how we can unite with God, teach us that art form. Also, uh, the word art comes from the Greek arti, which means just. Artios, complete and suitable. Art design, to prepare. And the Latin artus, to join, our joint. This is very significant because to be arti, to be just, is to be a righteous person. To say that something is just right means the soul is perfected. Likewise, to be complete and suitable is to be complete and suitable to God. Meaning we've purified our soul and then the light of Christ, the light of the divine, of Jehovah, manifests in us. It also means for, to prepare from our design. We have to become prepared and know how to prepare ourselves so that we can know the truth. And uh, to join is precisely represented by this image, how the divine joins with the human. And we'll explain next about, the, and finally, about the path of philosophy. We've included an image of uh, Mary Magdalene before the resurrected Jesus. Also a symbol of Sophia before Christ, before the Lord. Sophia means wisdom. Christ is uh, the divine. So philosophy comes from philos Sophia. Philos means love. Sophia means wisdom. You can also say that uh, you can also say that uh, Philos as love represents uh, Christ, because Christ is love, that energy, that potential, which we need to activate in us. It also people typically associate philosophy as a knowledge body of knowledge from philosophy, uh, the study of uh, a type of intellectual discipline. But genuine philosophy or love of wisdom love of knowledge, is how the soul loves God through study, through jnana yoga. Jnana yoga refers to, in Hinduism, the study of scripture, of meditation practices, and their application, so that we gain spiritual knowledge. Many philosophers, such as Plato, Socrates, knew this teaching in depth, and they explained the, the path of how the soul unites with the divine in their doctrines such as Plato's Republic, and we'll be talking about the allegory of the cave in depth, specifically uh, in future lectures, how their teachings and their writings, which have, which have inspired the Western canon, the Western tradition, uh, really had their roots in Hinduism and many other 
uh, earlier religions, but also these philosophies teach us about uh, how to unite with the divine. So um, to conclude, we emphasize that Gnosis is emphasized in four pillars and that uh, our, the foundation of our spiritual life is based on how we cultivate our relationship with God through mystical science, such as meditation, and uh, the study of art forms to inspire the soul. When we know the meaning of these art forms, we become enlivened, and we see that behind the great operas or the great classical compositions or the statues of, of Kuku Khan and the Mayan serpent, feathered serpent, the, we find images such as the Kundalini force among the Maya and the Aztecs, Quetzalcoatl in, in the Nahuatl language relating to Mexico, we find that these art forms teach us how to create our soul and can give us strength. And likewise, we study the knowledge in a philosophical way to know our relationship to God and, our, and uh, where we stand presently. Do you have any questions? Um, the four pillars, could that be also a combination of uh, the left brain, which is the sacred masculine, and the right brain, which is sacred feminine? Because you're talking about science mysticism, art, philosophy, and then getting to the third eye, which is the, is that, do you think that's the, the combination of that? Well, the four pillars, um, you can say we do have the more scientific hemisphere of the brain, and we have a more artistic form too. Right. But uh, the four pillars themselves, we could say, rather than having a physiological relationship, they're more related to the traditions we study, but how we biologically relate to certain types of thinking uh, pertain to mysticism as well as science, specifically. And how the brain creates is an art form. Right. And the brain itself is the most beautiful vehicle for the mind. The brain is not the mind. The mind is uh, that thinks, uses the physical brain to think here and now. Because when we look at that tree of life, the mind itself is above emotion and it's above vitality or sexuality. You could say instinct, impulse. But the uh, four pillars... Uh, in that sense, you can associate with, the, with uh, our psychological constitution. But uh, more importantly, they refer to aspects of our tradition that we study and also uh, the framework by which we can understand ourselves in detail, which involves psychology as well, specifically, and a little bit of occult anatomy. And then, you know, having grown... I grew up Catholic, went to all-boys Catholic school, and... I was ha- I'm having problems with the Old Testament as far as, you know, there's a lot of it that's about death and destruction and, and the Elohim, which means many gods, and then I looked into the Sumerian tablets, which is Enlil and Enki and the Anunnaki, and I'm trying to decipher, because the way you're talking is that, you know, within the Garden of Eden, I, I had, from the research that I did, it was many gods, and there's a lot of deception. Well, uh, Jehovah is uh, in Hebrew, Kabbalah, is yod Chavat Sabaot, Lord of Hosts. Jehovah is not just one being, but is uh, uh, the, the Christ, the Divine, manifested through all those masters who have incarnated that light. So Elohim can refer to the angels. And, and an angel is a perfected being, a being that fully manifests the light of Christ. So the Christ is an energy, is a light, is a force, which can manifest, is universal. Its center is everywhere, its circumference is nowhere, is, is universal. It's a 
cosmic energy that manifests all creation and can manifest in any being that has performed the work. What about in the Old Testament where it has a lot of death and destruction and the sacrificing of animals and firstborns and all that? That's a symbol. We have to sacrifice our own cherished self First, firstborn beliefs about ourselves. Our firstborn children is a symbol of certain psychological qualities we carry, meaning our reputation, our self-esteem, things we value about who we think we are. We also have to sacrifice the animal mind, the mind. So this has nothing to do with Anunnaki. This is all disinformation then, the Anunnaki and the, the reptilian thing. That's all disinformation. Well, the I know a lot of people believe in reptilian beings and I personally in the astral plane never met any of them so I don't uh, I don't really think about them so much but uh, I know that when I look in the, psychologically in the astral plane in the mirror and I see my own animal mind because visually you can see yourself as you are as a psyche through a mirror they teach you symbolically what you are as a consciousness and you may see yourself like an animal well we do have that reptilian part of the brain which is the RH complex the fight or flight part of the brain yeah we have many uh even physiologically, science knows that we have qualities that are animalistic, right. that we inherited from an animal past. But we go further in saying that the psyche, the soul, is animalistic and not human yet. The human has to be created. The human mind, a, a human being, is a being that has perfect equanimity and thought, feeling, as impulse, we think, as, we feel, as, we act. as we act, and is fully manifesting the will of God. So but uh, And the Bible is symbolic. It's written in uh, the language of Kabbalah. So people who read the, the Torah literally are very, uh, end up very confused and very sometimes traumatized by that tradition because people teach that God is, is jealous and angry and violent. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, uh, who is he violent towards? God is very jealous of our soul and is very violent against the mind, the ego, those qualities that are animalistic that prevent us from going towards the truth. So God is jealous in the sense not of, of an old man says, you've got to obey me or you're kicked out of the church kind of deal. Instead, it refers to the eagerness of God to fully unify all his parts, which are trapped in suffering, to free us from suffering. If God was not jealous in that sense, we would be in trouble because God demands that he wants all the parts that belong to him to be returned to happiness and to our source. So the Bible is, uh, again, written in Kabbalah, which many Jews don't, even uh, who uh, read the Torah, they don't, they don't know Kabbalah in depth. And even those who study the Kabbalistic tradition are, uh, do so from an intellectual point. They don't, they don't awaken the consciousness and verify in the internal planes what those teachings entail. So it's a symbolic uh, language. And people who read the Bible without knowing Kabbalah, is like trying to read Shakespeare without knowing English. It's just gibberish. You read it and you're like, well, what, is, what does this mean? This is so cryptic. Or you think it's literal and you say, well, this is so uh, uh, dogmatic. But there's some spiritual truths there that are hidden. And if we don't know how to interpret through knowing the science of the tree of knowledge and the tree of life, the science of Kabbalah and alchemy, that lighter kills our soul. And you see many people in these traditions who are very devout, but they are dead spiritually. They just repeat information. They're just a walking memory box. They can recite the Torah and all that, but are they conscious of it, what it teaches? The spirit can vivify our soul. The spirit behind the letter that kills. 
if we, if we read fundamentally without an awakened mystical perspective, a scientific uh, vantage point, and from a knowledge of art, the art of the language of Kabbalah, we, we, we get confused. And it becomes something um, rigid and repressive, which is not what we teach. So is one of the reasons we suffer is because we're not in, we're in duality within ourselves. We're not with as you think, as you feel, as you act, and cohesion. The universe gives back to which is unified, and that's why we're in this. And, then, and we're not abiding by natural law, right? And the law of Christ is to love thy neighbor as thyself. Mm-hmm. But typically our mind is trapped in duality. Uh, thought, thesis, antithesis. Mm-hmm. Belief, disbelief. In the heart, we have like-dislike. In our motor center, our center of movement, which we find in the top of our spine, we have to do or not to do. Through our instincts associated with the base of our spine, this center related to impulse, desire, uh, certain activities that are um, uh, beyond thinking, reactionary, relates to, uh, um, again, uh, reaction or repulsion. In relation to sexuality, uh, one has either attraction or, or this or dis, uh, repulsion as well. Um, so our psyche, it tends to be caught between a duality of should I do this, should I not do this? Right. And our confusion results from not having equanimity and by observing the chaos of the mind, the heart, the body. Because when the, we don't observe who we are psychologically moment by moment and seek to acquire a peaceful mind and understand our own defects, we continue to suffer and we also continue to uh, uh, be caught between this delusion of uh, this duality of a pendulum th- of thinking for or against, like, dislike. And that's the pendulum that keeps us hypnotized, you could say. The divide and conquer. What about the word apocalypse, meaning in Greek, the unveiling of truth? And the apocalypse, and the apocalypse is a titanic book, too, talking about the revelations of the soul after facing many challenges and ordeals. So what the unveiling of truth means is, is learning this esoteric from experience from uh, from one's from one's consciousness so when you awaken in the internal planes you're uh, by conquering your own by going through your own inner apocalypse meaning your own ordeals and struggles where you have to face great uh, tribulations and sacrifices by learning to overcome them mm-hmm. the revelation comes the light comes To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.